the book of Revelation, chapter 16. I have, with great insight, named this sermon the second three bowls. I struggled to know what to say. I think a better title may be the portion of Baals. And we will see what that portion is as we read uh, verses 8 through 16. And that takes us to the fourth, fifth, and sixth bowl or chalice of God's judgment brought against that once holy city of Jerusalem, now a place of judgment for their betrayal, for they had become even worse than Egypt and Babylon before them. Revelation chapter 16, beginning in verse 8, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Thus far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let me pray now for the blessing of God's holy word. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask that according to your never-failing wisdom, your light, your heat, the counsel of your Godhead revealed to us in your word, that you might instruct us, your disciples, in the way that we should go, how we should believe, and how we should worship and witness in this world that is in darkness, that we would bring the light of the gospel to the nations, so that they may flee your judgment and wrath. All this we ask in your name. Amen. I would remind you, as I have done in the past, as we move through the book of Revelation, to not let pop pop culture Christianity be your hermeneutical framework. Do not let Hollywood be your commentators. So when you hear the word Armageddon, I mean, what do you think of? I think of Bruce Willis turning the key to the nuclear warhead on the asteroid headed to Earth while the Aerosmith song is playing in the background. And it's hard to get those things out of your head. And what they do is they betray and they belittle the soberness of the word. 
Now let us remember this instead, not only not from Hollywood or other theological frameworks that are committed to interpretive ways that are not covenantal in nature, but let us approach the word of God in this way. What is Christ saying to the early church in the time of John prior to the fall of Jerusalem? Yes, I'm holding here to an early date that these things are fulfilled. God's judgment is fulfilled as he wrote to John in just a little while. Time and again, these things shall come to pass in just a little while. And they come to pass in God's wrath against Jerusalem. Then the question is, why? Well, for the sins of Israel. One of those sins that we saw earlier in chapter 16, because they killed the prophets. Now, why do you kill a prophet? Why do you kill a preacher? Why do you close down churches? Because Satan knows where the truth is. And all who are servants of Satan... Servants of the beast and of the dragon, those who are false prophets, know something of the gospel that many Christians often fail to remember, that the word is powerful in its being preached. And we need only preach it and teach it and memorize it and proclaim it for Christ's kingdom to grow on earth. It is powerful. Do you believe that? It is powerful. Christ has a great accusation against Jerusalem, not only for the shedding of the blood of the prophets and the saints, but the great prophet, the great priest, the great king of heaven and earth, Christ himself. Their rejection of the Messiah and the manner in which they did it, they looked to Rome to do what? To assist them in the elimination of the light of God revealed. How great was their darkness. How great was their darkness. They hid beneath the skirts of a pagan nation. And now, now that cowardice, that rejection of Christ, that unwillingness to heed the gospel of the light by hiding underneath the pagan power of the Caesars, is coming due. The judgment of Jerusalem in its fullness is now seen in these seven bowls or seven chalices as David Chilton calls them because they are the pouring out not of blessing but wrath in a rather ironic reversal of covenant fortune. So we're going to look at bowl four, five, and six this morning. Heat, darkness, and the drying up of the Euphrates. And what in the world does that mean? Two points that I want to make. Number one, glimpses of hell. Glimpses of hell. Maybe you're thinking, why not an Advent sermon? A bit cheerier. Glimpses of hell. Second, a coming in judgment. A coming in judgment. Let's look at this first point. A glimpse of hell. The fourth bowl is the pouring out of heat. Now, oftentimes what commentators have done, especially those partial preterists, and there are some full preterists out there, a preterist is someone who simply says a good portion of the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. 
It does not relate to future events or other events in history after the fall of Jerusalem, but it culminates and is fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem around 70 AD. It was at that time that Rome, the nation to whom Israel cried out to help them get rid of their Jesus problem, then became the instrument of the downfall of the city, of the nation, and the destruction of the temple. And so some of these things are, well, they're all expressed symbolically. Some of them seem to have manifestation in history. And so we have often turned to men like Josephus, who was a first century historian, who related many of the events that were taking place in Jerusalem at the time of the fall of Jerusalem. Now, as it relates to the fourth bowl, there is no sort of historical, literal correlate. So what does heat represent? It represents the felt authority of kingly displeasure. Maybe, kids, you would say it this way. There was a lot of heat in my house yesterday because I really messed up. And Dad was here when he's normally here. His voice was here. His face was red. And it felt like what? The heat of authority. Whew. It feels that way sometimes. Here, it is the unbearable heat of the Roman Empire and the tyranny of pagan kings who worship pagan gods that God was using to bring judgment upon Israel. And it was unrelenting. It was inescapable. And though it came through the instrument of Rome, do not be confused, it was God's judgment. And the reason we know it's God's judgment is because the Bible tells us so. And so we read, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God. So though there was no historical event recorded, in Isaiah 49.10, we read of God's mercy in preventing heat. In Isaiah 49, I'm sorry, verse 9 and 10, they shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water, he will guide them. Isaiah is speaking of the shade of God's covenant mercy. The inverse of that is God's covenant wrath. That is the heat of the fourth bowl. And you feel that heat expressly when you reject the means by which you might enter into the shade. Christ is the one who brings us into covenant fellowship with God so that we may, might not feel the heat and wrath of his justice and righteous indignation. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28:22, God threatens to strike his own people with heat if they should reject him. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think of the kind of heat that happens. You can't really maybe imagine it right now when it's 25 degrees 
but the kind of heat that rises off the asphalt here in North Carolina in the summer. And it creates that optical illusion of sort of a watery glistening. And as soon as you walk out of the house and you just go to your car, ever before you can turn the air on, you're drenched in sweat. But it isn't a literal sun because there is also no light It is like that of a closed-off oven. For what comes next? It is a smothering, unrelenting, palpable darkness. Bowl 5. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. So not only was there darkness that afflicted Rome, but that darkness of Rome afflicted Israel. Why? Because Israel was in league with Rome. They worshipped the beast. And in fact, many false prophets arose within Israel. Who was it that cried out most earnestly for the death of Christ? The peoples whose jobs and financial livelihood were at stake. The Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. Those who could not tolerate what Christ would do if Israel got a hold of the true gospel. What would happen? The church that they had built, a den of the devil, a house of snakes and deception, would have to be overturned. The established religion of Israel could not tolerate the light of the gospel of Christ. And so what did they do? They suppressed Christ's revelation, his incarnation, his testimony that the kingdom of God was at hand, therefore repent. They suppressed it and exchanged it for what? The very thing they hated most. The authority of the Roman Empire. They fled to Pilate. They fled to Caesar. They fled to Herod. They created an unholy alliance simply to kill the Messiah. And for their embracing of the darkness, what did they get? Unrelenting darkness. Have you ever been in that kind of darkness where there is no light whatsoever. It feels heavy. It almost feels as though it has a texture and a weight to it. I've had it happen to me, and it it, it almost immediately evokes some sort of response of panic because you have no way to navigate. You don't know where you are in the world. You completely lose perspective. If you've ever read Dante's Inferno, one of the great sentences that is not a literary sentence, but a sentence of judgment, of condemnation, that those who are marching to hell, Dante's Inferno is not inspired, okay? Don't hear me, don't hear me say that. But it creates a, a glorious, brutal, palpable representation of maybe what hell is like. And one of the things that is represented in hell, is there is no sky. There are no heavens. There are no stars. 
It is like this low ceilinged place where as soon as you walk into it, it's like going into a cave and the lights are turned off and you never see the sky again. And this is but the entryway, Dante says. What John is talking about is hell on earth. It is the heat and the darkness of God's wrath and the removal of the light of his redeeming word. There is none of it left. And there are pictures in human history where we see these temporary, tangible expressions of God's wrath on those who are dwelling upon the earth. Jerusalem is the most poignant in all of human history. Why? Because they willfully, knowingly traded the light for the darkness. And how great is that darkness? They had it all. The prophets, Moses, the kings, the law. And they traded it for what? Peace with Rome. Peace with the foreign gods of the nations in the land. They rejected the light and the warmth of the gospel for the unrelenting heat of wrath and the darkness of having no revelation whatsoever. And this is the greatest expression of divine judgment. It is the blindness and the stubbornness in seeing the works of God and being completely unmoved in light of those things. That is what you should be afraid of most. When clear word preached or God's signs of work in the world move you to know to not, you're not moved in any way. We call it a hard heart. An apathetic heart. And you know what? It is the one who claims Christ at one point in their life who is able to experience such darkness if he or she is not careful. And now it's too late for you because you've sat in the preaching of God's word. And you have heard the light. You have seen the light. You know the gospel. You know the way of salvation. And for you to hear the word of God, and I'm not accusing you. This is a a kind of possible hypothetical. To reject it for what? You don't reject it for nothing. None of you say, I'm not intellectually convinced of the truth claims of scripture. No one actually believes that. Do you know why men reject the scriptures? Because they love their sin. It is always an emotional decision. Don't believe these sophisticated atheists on YouTube. Well, let's just look at the evidence. The evidence is overwhelming, you fools. You blind fools. Why do they not believe? Because they want their sin. They love it. Because they have rejected Christ so many times, Christ says, I'm done showing you the way. I'm done. Boy, what a place that is. That is where we find ourselves here. And as I'm looking at this and I'm preparing it, I'm thinking, Lord, don't ever let me get to this point 
where I hear the word and I go, whatever. I don't care what God says about lust or anger or impatience or greed. When you hear the law of God, what should it do? It should, oh man, I've done that. And what does Christ say to those who are convicted by the law? Come to me. Because when you come to me, I'm never going to cast you off. I take everyone. Everyone gets to come. Except those who do what? Who do not come. And so a state like this, to see Israel like this, the greatest nation that has ever been, no nation in the history of nations was like Israel. It should break our hearts. But it should also drive us to a place of of holy examination and fear. Because as the churches are receiving these letters, they're learning something about redemptive history, broad-level doctrine. But they're also learning something about themselves. You, churches of Asia Minor, you Laodiceans, How dare you let your light go out? How can you, knowing what has happened in the heavenly places, that Christ is on the throne, say, I don't get it. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. This is why Christ says, now is the hour of repentance. Because the next statement that comes, verse 15, is in verse 16, um, It's going to happen quickly. Dress yourselves, for you do not know when the judgment of God is coming. But to deny Christ and to deny him time and time again and to deny him when you see his judgments and it doesn't soften you. Parents, have you ever had those children? They're terrifying. They've disobeyed, you bring punishment, and you can see it in their eyes. They're enraged at you, and you go, Lord, would you take that out of them? Because I don't know if I can. Take that little root of stubbornness, because if they respond to you the way they respond to me, they're in trouble. (laughs) Kids, don't do it. You get nothing for it. You get nothing for it except more judgment, greater terror. But be soft. Be soft under revelation. That is the revelation of Christ. And to receive the revelation of Christ, you must say what? Yes, I'm I'm a sinner. In all of these ways, these methods, however sophisticated and simple they may be, I've trusted in these things and they provide for me no way out of my sin. So what must you do? You must stop digging cisterns that cannot hold water. You must turn from your empty, worthless idols that will only bring you death. And you must do what? You must see the end of all your sins and you must lay those sins upon Christ and say, take these things. Because if you hold these things against me, there will be no end to the darkness and the heat that you will bring for all eternity. And when that kind of stuff is preached, what are you preaching to? Not the intellect. 
But the crying out of the soul of every man understands something of what? I need to be saved. Israel thought they needed to be saved from Christ. And so they clung to the Caesars of Rome. We must see, we must be freed from the Caesars, the beasts and the dragons and the false prophets by fleeing to Christ. Because judgment is coming. This is starting to feel like one of those revival sermons. I I implore you, this is not showmanship or emotive preaching. We must stand firm upon Christ and all of his work. Now, let's move to the second point, a coming in judgment. In the sixth bowl, we read, the angel, verse 12, pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And you're going, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Do any of you even know what Waterloo was? Custard's last stand? Those moments of great humiliation when the English longbows took down the cavalry, cavalry of the, the French. It's a great time for Anglophiles if you're into that sort of thing. We, band of brothers, Shakespeare wrote, those armors that could pierce through the, the armor of the men on horseback. These moments in history where a mighty force was in a moment swept away, unplanned. Now there was Cyrus in the book of Daniel. And they were having a great feast. And at this feast, there was much revelry, debauchery. They had taken the things of God from the temple. And do you know what they did with those things? They used them for their hedonistic feasts. And they celebrated the things of the flesh in the most idolatrous and perversive ways. And God gave to Daniel the ability to interpret a vision. It was at that moment, in the midst of all of the revelry, a hand appeared and everyone saw it and it wrote on the wall. Your kingdom is at an end. And Daniel was brought in to interpret that writing. And later that night... The Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians who marched their army under the wall because they diverted the river Euphrates and they walked on dry ground underneath the wall of the city. One pagan nation used by God to judge another pagan nation. And he gave to Daniel a vision, not unlike the visions of of John in the book of Revelation, that these nations who are not led by King Jesus, but by these pagan, idolatrous, wicked men, are used even by God to accomplish his own ends, which is to liberate his true people. Israel remembered. The French, they remember Waterloo. The English remember Waterloo. The Israelites knew of the great Euphrates and the time in which the Persians took the throne away from the Babylonians. Beasts, these are. Political powers that rise in opposition 
to the true Messiah and his people, here the beast is judged. And it isn't just the beast, but it is the whole unholy, unrighteous trinity of the dragon, the beasts, and the false prophets. Look at verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons. Saints, there is a way in which we are to look at the world not purely in socio-political ways. We have become far too secular and Gnostic in the way we understand human history. And what we have often done, and this is what schools do so well, is they, can you imagine? I mean, I, you don't even often get this in Christian schools. To study the book of Revelation is to cast all of human history in the light of God's sovereign superintendence over nation building and nation tearing down. And that either you are um, in power and you are promoting the cause of righteousness or wickedness. There are no neutral secularists and there are no neutral Christians. There is the dragon and there is the lamb. And they are fighting it out on earth, and the expression of that war is often in large-scale wars fought by nations. And here is Rome, and Rome represents a power given over to the influence of Satan as a political power, a beast, and who are being propped up in that age by a bunch of false Jewish prophets. And that whole organism, the unholy trinity of dragon, beast, and false prophets, are warring against the holy trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is what Armageddon is. It's not a movie. It's not a future conflict. It is an expression of divine warfare that God is bringing upon Jerusalem like Persia under the wall, Rome is going to come into Jerusalem and in a moment they will be gone. And it can happen like that. How often in history has a great empire become fat and lazy and so another sleeker, more efficient empire come in and take in the reins of power? And it isn't just the nation of Israel and the nation of Rome. It was the church, even the religious people of that day. Obviously, the nation of Israel and the religion of Israel were tied together in one, a kind of theonomic empire of sorts. But by making allegiances with the beast and through the beast, the dragon, God would bring upon them judgment and God would judge not only Jerusalem, but Rome as well. All of this is a judgment upon the nations. For even as God judges Jerusalem, he judges all men according to his righteous standards. And so what we find here in this bowl is the preparation of battle that will bring to an end completely this city.
Now, what it meant for those who denied Christ was eternal torment, even as it is expressed on earth, this living hell. But what it means for the New Covenant Church, the New Testament Church, those who come in Christ, is what? There's nowhere left to go save Christ. Nowhere. There's nowhere to go. You need not go to the temple. It is gone. Even today, there are Christians who await the rebuilding of the temple, and they believe that when that happens, Christ will come again. You and I are not waiting for that day. There are Christians who will say that um, one day the um, temple sacrifices will be reinstituted, completely doing away with the whole book of Hebrews. Where do you get this stuff, frankly? I don't understand it. Well, what it is is it's, it's bad theology read into the book of Revelation. But don't be deceived by this. Here, Armageddon, Armageddon is just the mountain of Megiddo. Do you know what happened there? It's often called Mount Carmel. Oh, some things happened on Mount Carmel. Personally, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is where Elijah did war along with a handful of Israelites against the prophets of Baal. Remember that? They call to their God, send down fire upon this altar, and Elijah's over there. Something I think Christians should be doing a little bit more of today, a little bit of holy taunting. Hey, you secularists, where's your great utopia? Where is it? Where is it? I don't see it. I see 70 million unborn children. I see same-sex relationships that cannot produce fruit. Where is this utopia? Can you please bring it to... Where is it? Where is it? Are you happy? Are we better off now than we were 50 years ago, 80 years ago? Where is it, you secularists? You said it was coming. You need only cast off the shackles of religion and revelation, and now you have. And what has come of it? Violence and hatred on every level. And the prophets of Baal, and Elijah says, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's indisposed. And they are cutting themselves. They are physically mutilating themselves. Sound familiar? Except now we have whole hospital departments who devote themselves to the medical, surgical, clean application of self-mutilation. We live in the age of Baals. We've never been past it. There is always Baal worship. And there are temples to Baal everywhere you go, all over the place. And Elijah then says, Lord, well, first he says, let's do this. Let's take water and let's throw it on this altar. And then he says, Lord, for the sake of your glory, right? He's imploring the jealousy of God. He says, burn it up. Light up. The sacrifice. You know what God does? He evaporates it. It isn't just flame, like I lit a fire last night on my back patio, and I was struggling. I even get the little handheld blower out there to cheat a little bit. <laughs> it would be wrong of me, and frankly, blasphemous to say, Lord, would you? But here, a prophet, a kind of prophet that Israel killed, they killed men like Elijah because they spoke for God. 
And so there on Mount Carmel, Elijah says, send down the fire. And God, I mean, in a moment, all the water evaporates, all the stones are turned to ash, and there is no sacrifice. It's all gone. And then Elijah and a handful of Israelites kill 600 prophets of Baal. Now, I'm not saying bring that back. (laughs) Taunting, yes, but we slay by the sword of the Spirit. It was also that place where Barak and Deborah achieved victory in Judges 5. But it was also there on Mount Carmel that Josiah died young in battle. Here it is the mountain upon which Israel will be sacrificed. They will experience their greatest shame. In that place called Armageddon, the mountain of Megiddo. Why? Because they had betrayed the true and living God for the very worship of the nation that was the means of their own downfall. That is the wretched irony of our rebellion. God gives you what you ask for. Except look at verse 15. This is directed right to the church in these, these seven churches in Asia Minor. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, this does not refer to the end times. This is in reference to the judgment of Israel. For all of those who are in Israel, it was sort of expected, but when it came, it happened so quickly. Remember Christ in the gospel says, when you see these things happening, get out of the city. Leave. In fact, if you're pregnant, don't wait to give birth. Flee. It is an urgent call to flee from the wrath of God. And it is at hand all the time, is it not? How is the wrath of God at hand in a way that we understand? What do we say in Evangelism Explosion? Is this the, if you die tonight? One of those questions. What would you say? If you died tonight, or as Jonathan Edwards in his resolutions, uh, when he spoke of a desire to live a holy life, he said, I would live, I resolve to live in such a way that as soon as I sinned and the trumpet sounded, that I would not be ashamed. Are you thinking that way? Are you looking at things that way, talking that way, living that way, that it's the last thing you ever do? What if God caught you, as it were? Why does God speak this way? Why does Christ reveal this to the churches there? So that they may not become like Israel of old. Here's the blessing. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments. What garments? The garments we've read of already in Revelation. Those garments of the saints as they are dressed in white. Do not... Cast off the clothing that Christ clothes you in. But keep watch upon your soul. Because as happened to Jerusalem, so will happen to all who upon hearing the word of God say, I don't need this righteousness of Christ. I got this. You don't. None of us do. Because what's the alternative? that you walk naked and be ashamed. Live as one who believes that Christ is the heavenly judge. 
Walk uprightly. Now, when I say walk uprightly, I'm not talking about meritorious salvation, works righteousness. What is the way in which you and I are delivered from the wrath that is to come? By holding fast to the one who sits upon the throne. By heeding the warnings and believing. By holding fast to Christ by faith. Because if you do not, you will not be with Christ in the great battle. You will be on the other side. Remember what Rahab said? Every heart in the land melted when they saw the things that God was doing for Israel. Instead of running in fear, she said, how do I make peace with that king? Dear saints, there is one thing that you must do before you die. Just one. And that is to make peace with Christ. And he has given you the clear way to do that. Believe upon me and you shall be saved. Believe what? That though my sins are like scarlet, I shall be made white as snow. Believe Christ and you shall be forgiven. Let's pray. Lord.